When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to this Billy Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go Billy Up. So we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast. So who came after Kenny Washington? Woody Strode, Bill Willis, and Marion Motley. The first African-Americans to play pro football in 13 years. How many? More. Many more. And they showed the NFL what it had been missing. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, so I, I, I honestly think this is going to be one of my shorter shows. If it's not, I was really overprepared, and I did not get to all the players. So we're going to have another show continuing, uh, you know, everything we've been talking about, the reintegration of the NFL, the reintegration of pro football. Uh, look, NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome. This show is for you, not for those who already know this stuff. You can kick rocks, again, with no shoes. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history, so we're here to do what? Enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Billy Up Sports, Billy Up Sports Podcast Network. The BillyUpSports.com website is where you need to go. You can find all of our shows, the stories, the writers, all of the great content that is in the Belly Up Sports Network, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those great things uh, can be found on those platforms. YouTube as well. My show, please find it. Uh, not on YouTube yet, but please find it. You, you can listen to it and love it and all. Uh, there we go. So, first of all, I messed up badly last week. I said... That Marion Motley was the first African-American inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I had to catch my own mistake because I know um, that that wasn't true. <laughs> I, I remember that that was not true. I haven't, I've said before that he was the second African-American to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. 
we will talk about the first. All right. Motley was second. Deuce, dose, do. All right. So we've got the squeaky chair. We've got the papers. So we're ready. Um, just a quick review, though. What have we been talking about? Again, the reintegration of professional football, the reintegration of the NFL. Because what? For 13 years, to, oh, 12 years, 13 seasons, no African-Americans played, right? They were blackballed, slick blackballed. So what did we do? We talked about first, uh, we'll just, you know, going backwards last week, 1946 was the year of it reintegration. We talked about Kenny Washington and Woody Strode, the, the uh, one-time college stars for the UCLA Bruins and how they were the first two to be signed. They started all with Kenny Washington. Even though we were seven years too late, uh, they, they could have been way more productive before that. But then also, and this was with the L.A. Rams uh, of the NFL and the AAFC some months later, of course, they signed Bill Willis and Marion Motley with the Cleveland Browns. But the question is, who else? Who else came behind them? And uh, there's a really good book that one of my good buddies, um, and I've mentioned him from time to time, former Buffalo Bills defensive end, rush, pass rusher, before a pass rusher was a thing. Um, that's, that was him. Uh, he let me borrow this book. I don't know if he let me have it. I'm going to have to ask him about it tomorrow. But it's called, uh, it's, it's written by Arthur Ashe, uh, who wrote several books. And this one's A Hard Road to Glory. And this was focusing in on football, the African-American athlete in football. So he does have the list um, of the major players that actually came in, uh, night, you know, post-1945 uh, in 1946 when these teams started actually signing African-Americans back. So I'll start in the National Football League. This is after 1945. Very thick reference section, not a whole lot of reading. There is plenty of good reading in the front end of it, but I'll say two-thirds of this book is references, and it is, it is some amazing list that you can find in this book. So I'll start. 1946, you know, you got the Rams... Uh, Kenny Washington, Woody Strode in 48, uh, Emlyn Tunnel uh, with the Giants, the Detroit Lions uh, signed Melvin Grooms and Bob Mann. We mentioned those two guys uh, previously. In 49, the New York Yankees signed Sherman Howard. Uh, and I'll just go through the names. Um, you know, Bob Mann moved on to the Packers. You had Eddie Macon, Clifton Anderson, Ollie Matson, Wally Triplett. Uh, Ralph Golson, Donald Stevens, Jack Spinks, Melvin Embry, George Talafaro, uh, Claude Buddy Young, Bobby Mitchell, and Ron Hatcher. This is going all the way to 1962. And so this is an older book. So this isn't exactly uh, totally updated. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, this was back in 1988 when this was published. So just give you a little context. Um, and then in the All-American Football Conference. Remember, that started in 1946 and ran four seasons till 1949 was the final season before the league was dissolved in three teams. It was the Browns, the 49ers, and the Colts moved into the NFL. And then the, some of the other teams, you know, got merged together. Um, of course, there was uh, Bill Willis and Marion Motley in 46, uh, Claude Young, Elmore Harris, Ezra Anderson, Burt Piggott, uh, John Brown, Bill Bass, Horace Gilliam, Tom Casey, Lynn Ford. Um, 
Lynn Sexton, uh, Robert Mike, Joe Perry, and Ben Whaley. Uh, there were others. Uh, not everybody was named, and that's going to be key when I talk about something a little bit later in the second half of the show. But that's the list. So I'm just going to select. Uh, I have a select few that I actually want to elaborate on. And so with that, 1949, kick the music. George Talafaro. He was the first black uh, athlete that actually went to the to Indiana University, IU. And at that university, he was a three-time All-American. And so the, the, the crazy thing about that was is that, all right, so George Hallis of the Chicago Bears, he actually made Talafaro the first African-American to be drafted. In the NFL draft, he was selected in the 13th round, pick 129. Now, keep this in mind, there were a lot of picks. We'll delve into that a little bit later. And then when we get into the historical aspect of the NFL draft, as well as the Indianapolis Combine, uh, we'll give you a little more context on some things. So he was picked in the 13th round by the Bears. First African-American to be selected in the the NFL draft. The NFL draft didn't even start until 1936. They didn't always do it. I don't know if you listened to some of my earlier shows, but we we talked about that. Um, and they had been doing this for a little bit, for a little while, with high rounds, high number of rounds. I mean, as many as 20 rounds and more. Uh, but Telefire, he was selected in the 13th round, but he had already signed with an AAFC team, the All-American Football Conference, the LA Dons. And why did he do that? Well, here's the thing. African-Americans wasn't being signed left or right. Yes, they had reintegrated a couple years ago, right? Three years ago um, in both leagues. But the problem is he thought, I'm not going to get drafted you know, or brought in, so I'm not in the NFL, so I'm going to go ahead and sign. He had already signed a contract with the Dons and Hallis later on drafted him with the Bears, and he actually decided uh, to go ahead and, and keep his word and, and basically honor his contract with L.A. That speaks well of a man. You know, you're going to stand by your word, and he did that. He only played seven years, which is more than most, um, but he played for five different teams. As well as the Dons, he played with the New York Yankees. Yes, there was a football team called the New York Yankees before um, well, to go along with the baseball team. That was kind of commonplace. You had some cities. I mean, you even had the Brooklyn Dodgers who had a football team as well as the baseball team. Branch Rickey, we'll mention him later. The Dallas Texans, um, this is pre-AFL. Uh, the Dallas Texans, the Colts, uh, the Baltimore Colts, and the Philadelphia Eagles. And he played several different positions. Again, just as a reminder, teams didn't... Uh, they didn't have as many players on it as today. Now you have, what, 52, 50 guy, uh, 50, 53, excuse me, 53-man squads? There are only 30 then. So imagine this being a little bit more like a small high school team or for you youth coaches out there, the, the teams that you have about 25 to 30 players, and most of them are playing both ways. It was called platooning. It wasn't special teams back then either. It was offense. Uh, you had first, second, and third platoon. And you didn't have special teams, <laughs> that which was crazy. Uh, but uh, Talafaro actually played quarterback, halfback. He was a return man, a defensive back, and a punter. 
Pretty good athlete. He was. And so was this next guy. So in the 19th round of that same draft, the Detroit Lions selected a halfback out of Penn State by the name of Wally Triplett. And just a little bit of background on Triplett. Triplett actually at Penn State was the first black to actually earn a varsity letter when he entered in 1946. And he actually was the first African-American. It was him. I forget the other players, his teammates' name, but there were two that they actually integrated the Cotton Bowl down in Texas. And they they played to a 13-13 tie in that game, in that 48 Cotton Bowl. And it was really crazy just reading the story how they didn't think they was going to be able to play the game. But it was for all the marbles pretty much, right? Um, and then in, in earlier, they had yet again the University of Miami, their Jim Crow laws down in Florida, did not want to play any team that was going to have black players. So most teams would leave their players behind, right? Um, Penn State didn't do that. Now, this is just what I read. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know the we are Penn State, you know the chant. Supposedly that originated from a discussion that they had about that game in particular. When they were going to go play Miami, they decided they weren't going to leave their two black players home. They were going to either play together or they weren't com coming at all. They didn't go down there. So they forfeited the game. I mean, that Penn State team finished 9-0 and in the regular season and they had that uh, Cotton Bowl tie. But tell uh, Triplett was a really, really great player. He didn't play very long, but uh, when it came to the pros in 1949, like I said, he got selected by the Detroit Lions. The crazy thing is, this is when Branch Rickey comes in. It was the AAFC versus the NFL. Of course, the AAFC was trying to get some good players as well. Um, and surprisingly enough, Triplett ended up going with the Lions. Why? Branch Rickey was $700 too short. <laughs> he, the contracts were uh, $700 in difference and the Lions were paying more, he went and signed with the Lions. And that uh, in 49, he had then a Lions record 80-yard touchdown run against the Green Bay Packers, but it was the next year in 1950 when he set an NFL record. He was a really great returner. He had 294 return yards in one game. On only four returns, they had included a 97-yard kickoff return for a touchdown and that was a record that stood for 44 years that's a lot of athletes that come and go in 44 years um but in 51 a wrench was thrown his career in his career as he was drafted to have to fight into the uh, in the korean war he got back the next year in 52 he was actually traded to the chicago cardinals and from there uh, he ended up retiring his um his career was over with and so uh, but a really great athlete in his time and definitely a trailblazer for many of the African-Americans. Just just one of many uh, that, that came, well, one of few that were coming back through the league at that time. Um, in that same draft, there was one that actually went undrafted. Paul, what they called him, Tank Younger. He was an undrafted free agent. They ended up signing with the Rams in 1949. And he actually did a tryout in order to go and play uh, with L.A. And it's really, really interesting. His story, to me, it just 
it almost just borders on ridiculous as usual. But he was the, uh, the NFL's first player from the HBCU. And he went to Grambling. Now, here it is, the Pittsburgh Courier. One day I'm going to do a show on the Pittsburgh Courier so I can school you guys on this and even myself learn even more. Uh, the first time I ever mentioned it was because of Bill Nunn Jr. because he worked for that newspaper and they were the ones who compiled a black college All-American team every year. That was their tradition until that, that paper went away. It was a small uh, black uh, publication, um, somewhat nationally uh, known. But in the Pittsburgh Courier, Younger was the 1948 black, he was a black All-American for them, but he also was the black college player of the year uh, for Eddie Robinson's uh, team. He was a fullback and linebacker, played both ways. Um, he was actually, I think he was going to put him as a lineman or something like that. And because the guy, even though he was huge, the dude was too quick and powerful to not just hand that dude the ball. And he did it plenty. But here's the question that I have. After his four-year career at Grambling, how does a player who scores 60 touchdowns in four years not even get considered? Well, obviously it has something to do with the color of his skin. So he goes and tries out with the Rams. He makes the team. And not only does he do that, uh, in his nine years, nine of the 10 years that he played, his, his, he played from 1949 to 1950, 1958. In 58, he retired after playing with the Pittsburgh Steelers. In the nine years that he had with the Rams, he was a first-team All-Pro. He made the Pro Bowl four times. Three times he was an All-Pro. First-team All-Pro in 1951, and twice was a second-team All-Pro. And in that span of from 1950 to 1955, they made four championship appearances. Winning it all in 1951. Look, the Cleveland Browns, when they came over, to, from the AAFC to the NFL, they just dominated. They were the team of the 50s. Um, and in, in that span, they were like in the championship. Remember, uh, they won it all four years in the AAFC, and then they went consecutive years, six years to be exact, in the NFL. So, I mean, they, they were just that dominant. But the Rams were not slouches. I mean, you had teams, I mean, this team had guys like uh, Norm Van Brocklin and Bob Waterfield, Tom Fears, Elroy Crazy Legs, Legs Hirsch. They, they were loaded, um, but I mean, just, just wasn't as good as the Browns. I mean, they, they were competing, but they were just not as good as the Browns. But Tank Younger was one of those players that ended up uh, just, just really making a difference on that squad the way that he did. And in that 10-year that career that he had, and he shared the football now, wasn't even the main running back. Uh, all the time because they were three of them, by the way. 3,640 yards rushing and 34 touchdowns in his 10-year career. And after he retired, uh, after the 58 season, from 59 to 75, he actually worked a little bit as a part-time scout for the Rams. Uh, but in 75, another African-American or black first. In 75, he became the assistant GM of the San Diego Chargers, the first African-American front office executive. And he held that job all the way till 1987. And he even got into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2000. Uh, that backfield that I said he shared the ball with, it was called the Bull Elephant. 
You know, and there were three running backs. All of them weighed 225 pounds apiece. Uh, that was Dick Horner, uh, but and is younger. But there's also a running back by the name of Dan Taller. I deacon Dan Taller, as a matter of fact. I had to throw this guy in. This dude was just as good as younger was. That's the crazy part. He only played six years in the league. In 1950, he was actually drafted. Uh, in the 25th round by the Rams, he went to Washington and Jefferson University. And in those six years, from 50 to 55, those seasons, all six, six years he went to the Pro Bowl four times. And he was a first-team All-Pro in 52 after he led the NFL with 894 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns. Now, like I said, they were playing 12-game seasons now. And then on top of that, like I said, he was sharing the football. In 54, he led the league in with 11 touchdowns. He was a three-time second-team All-Pro, 51, 53, and 54. And in those six six seasons, 3,493 yards rushing and 43 touchdowns. If the dude had kept playing, there's no telling what he would have done. I believe when he retired, I think he became a minister or something like that. Uh, but I mean, that was that. That's what he he wanted to do. Um, but here is a disturbing fact. So apparently, there was an unwritten law. That was talked about by, I believe, Hall of Famer Ron Mix. There was a quota system that there should be no more than five black players per team in the NFL around that time. And it's also to be noted that in 1950, there were 14 African-Americans in the league, according to the books. Five of them played for the L.A. Rams. Harry Thompson, Bob Boyd, and Woodley Lewis went along with Tank Younger and Dan Tyler. But coming up next... We highlight two more African-American stars of the 1950s. It's not over. You know, we have more guys that were in there, but two more, though. They both played for the same team. So Dan Tyler led the NFL with 894 yards, right? One of these two players we're going to talk about was a defensive back that had more yards picking off passes and returning kicks. Next. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. So we have obviously been talking about the reintegration of the league for the past couple of shows. Last week, I had mentioned not only the fact that blacks were shut out of the league from 1933 to 46, but also that there were only 13 players. Of course, in my other book that I've been reading, The Black Bruins, James W. Uh, Johnson mentioned that there were 17 players that played in that time, in that era, uh, the early era. Um this is from 
the inception of the league from 1920 to 1933. There were 13 players, but Johnson says there were 17. I got the names uh, that are on record, and this is all according to Arthur Ashe's book. So I'm going to read them to you right now. So Fritz Pollard, Paul Robeson, Robert Marshall, Jay Inky Williams, Fred Slater, John Shelburne, uh, or Shelbourne, Ed Butler, James Turner, Dick Hudson, Charles West, Harold Bradley, Joe Lillard, and Ray Kemp was the last one to play, and he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they played for the Akron Pros, Cleveland for Hammond Pros, not the Cleveland Browns, uh, Rock Island of Illinois, Canton Bulldogs, the Milwaukee Badgers, uh, Minnesota, the, the Dayton Triangles, the Providence team, the Chicago Cardinals, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. 13 players played for 11 franchises. Now, those other four names, I have no idea who they were. Um, no idea. Again, I'm sure that there were more. Uh, it, but as far as them being in the books and on record, those are the names. And, of course, you know, we, we fast forward to 46, and they start bringing in the African-Americans again. And that was great. That was great. So I got a question, though. Um, can or look today's NFL? I don't think you'll find an offensive lineman with a 29 inch uh, waist. <laughs> if there's one, please let me know. Please let me know. So, the NFL remember their draft rounds were really up and down, and there was a reason for that. They went uh, as many as 20 to 25 up to 30. Why? Because of the war. The war had uh, so many of us. Uh, in America that were being drafted and sent overseas or drafted and they probably had to do something around here in the country maybe because they were 4F and <laughs> didn't measure up uh, had something that they couldn't well if they were 4F they couldn't get in <laughs> they couldn't fight but um, they, there were so many that were being drafted it's like they had to extend the rounds it's like we don't know we could draft this guy but will he be available to play so they had to extend it and do a little bit more well, enter Rosie Brown, or Roosevelt Brown is his given name. Everybody called him Rosie. Rosie Brown, uh, probably the greatest left tackle of all time. And some of y'all probably don't even know who he was. He played for the New York Giants in the 50s, uh, going into the 60s. So, again, those, those draft rounds, they were up and down, but they were up to 30 rounds in 1953. And... Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt Brown was drafted in the 27th round, 321st overall. What is this, baseball? The baseball draft? Uh, the New York Giants, they hadn't even heard of this guy out of uh, out of Morgan State. Now, get get that Pittsburgh Curry again. I mean, the guy was in on that list, <laughs> just like that, that black All-American list again, and you got somebody that was great. And it's like, we don't know who he was, and we just took a chance. It was like, all right, well, let's try this guy. This guy, we don't know who he is, but he's on this list, so let's let's pick him. And to keep this in mind, also that there, the common draft era, the way it is now, we didn't have scouts. There was no Mel Kuyper that was speaking into a, a some kind of radio, you know, giving you the, the hubbub on the next, you know, great quarterback with no face mask or they did have face masks by then but i'm just telling you uh that wasn't 
uh, somebody that did that. They did these things. They did have scouts, but it wasn't like the modern scouting that we know to, today. See Eddie Cotal, who brought in a lot of those Rams uh, that were in those championships. He was the first modern day scout, but he was traveling all over the country and he had a really long notepad and the man was doing his work you know, like that. So you have this guy, Roosevelt Brown. Uh, he's in the Pittsburgh Courier. Uh, in 1952, he was on that black All-American team for Morgan State. The guy could possess great strength and speed. But here's the crazy part. Take all the way back to high school. His Apparently, his dad wanted him to play football because he was so huge. He's like 6'3", 6'4". He wanted to play in the band. He was a trombone player. And I think at one point when he actually did decide to play football, when the, the coach did put him on the football team, because he's seen this big old dude playing the trombone, uh, I mean, pl playing the, uh, you know, playing in the band. He's like, yeah, you're playing football. And I think at one point, as his wife describes on Giants.com, that he did both. He would have his shoulder pads or whatever off and have his bottoms on play and then go back in the game or go play the game or whatever it was that he did <laughs> it was that's crazy um Vince Lombardi who was one of those along with uh Tom Landry was one of those assistant coaches he was the offensive coordinator you know so that that's what Lombardi did for those teams he wasn't the head coach um but he made Brown, the first pulling tackle. You're talking about a 6'3", 255, 275-pound man that just could run. I mean, he's got a 29-inch waist. I mean, that's not necessarily the modern-day offensive lineman. But he was so fast, he could do it. And he made him the first tackle to pull. And from 1953 to 1965, the dude dominated the NFL. And in those years, an eight-year span, the Giants won six divisional titles, including the 1956 NFL Championship. And after his 13 years were done, and I think it was, oh, Lord, I forget. He had to, he was really forced to retire. Um, I'm so sorry that I don't even have the name of what it was uh, that that he had to retire because of. It, it was some kind of, I, I want it wasn't a disease, but I think it was it was something that resulted from an injury, possibly. Um, but he was forced to retire after 13 years. The man made nine Pro Bowls, and he made uh, nine uh, nine Pro Bowls, and he was an All-Pro nine times. Six times he was a first-team All-Pro, and three times he was a second-team All-Pro. And he retired in 1966. And after he did, by 1975, uh, he had been elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Only the second pure lineman to be inducted. Period. And I believe he was the second African-American New York Giant. So, and he ended up being an offensive line coach by 1969. And he actually did some scouting. And uh, he did he, he did this kind of work, I think, all the way up to the, till the time, around the time he passed away at age 71 in 2004. He was probably the greatest offensive lineman to ever play to that point. So, now... I go to a little something that I found. Uh, it was on an NCR or NPR, NPR radio show. Um, and uh, a host by the name of Mike Pesca, he has a trivia question that he describes he asks all the time. Now, just reading the transcript, 
you know, you ask people, it's like, okay, you're a big Giants fan? And the question is basically, okay, you know, you, you're such a big fan. Name an all-time, you know, NFL all-time. What Giants player is in the top three of major defensive statistical category? And their answers are always wrong. They say Lawrence Taylor, and it's like, it's got to be Lawrence Taylor. No, no. Michael Strahan, no. You know, not Carl Banks or any of those guys either. Uh, it was actually Emlyn Tunnel. He was a safety for the New York Giants in the 50s. And a lot of those cats, they really don't know who Tunnel was. <laughs> they really didn't. Um, I knew his name for years, but I never really dug deep into his history and what the things that he accomplished. On July 24th, 1948, he signed with the New York Giants um, as a free agent. I'll explain in a second. He was the first African-American uh, actually to do so with the New York Giants. But take it all the way back to 1942, he actually played for the uh, for Toledo. Um, then in 1943, he had joined the U.S. Coast Guard from 43 to 46. And when he left the Coast Guard, he went to the University of Iowa. And he played there. And I think he may have been uh, the first African-American to play at Iowa as well. I'm not totally sure. But in 48, he ended up leaving. Why? Because I think in January of that year, he decided he wanted to, he needed to work to try to make more money. And I think part of that reason was for him to go back to school. But here's the problem. Our officials were telling him, look, you need to come to summer school because you need to retake some classes that you failed. He ended up leaving. And when he left, uh, <laughs> this is the crazy part. This man hitchhiked 150 miles. And I think he got somewhere outside of New York and still needed a ride. He waited a couple hours and a West Indian, a West Indian man uh, that was driving a banana truck gave him a ride the rest of the way. He mentions this guy in his Hall of Fame speech, by the way. Yes, he made the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's crazy that the NFL actually thought that he was going to go back for his third year. And they were going, that's what they said, that they were going to draft. So he went undrafted. Well, he got their ride all the way to the New York Giants to go see the Mariners. They signed him after a trial. And for 11 years, the man terrorized the league as not only as a defensive back, but as a punt returner. This man made nine Pro Bowls. Four times he was a first-team All-Pro. And twice he was a second-team All-Pro. As a safety. Uh, 1949, I have a question about 1949 for all of the NFL people of that day. What were you thinking? Why didn't this guy make some kind of all-pro team or at least make the Pro Bowl that year? His statistics, if you look at Emlyn Tunnel's defensive back uh, statistics, they look like the best game for a wide receiver, uh, like a career high for a wide receiver in, in, in name that game in just a regular season game. I'm going to read them to you. Seven in this, this is first year. Seven picks, 116 yards and a touchdown. In 1949, he picked off 10 passes for 251 yards and two touchdowns. If somebody did that today, he'd be named the greatest defensive back ever. Oh, my God. 
and he didn't make anything that year. And then after that, I mean, look at his, his interception numbers, seven, nine, seven, six, eight, seven, six, six. And then the yards is ridiculous, 167, 74, 149, 117, 108. I, I mean, and, and he's scoring touchdowns. They say everything, everywhere that I've ever read in preparing for this show, they called him offense on defense. I wonder why that was. Then if you put the ball near him, he was he took it. I don't know. I understand that the passing of the day probably wasn't great, but they weren't picking balls off at that kind of clip. And again, they were only playing 12 game seasons. All right, only 12. And no Pro Bowl in 1949. None. <laughs> it's crazy. Now after his years with the Giants, he wouldn't play three years with the Green Bay Packers. And the funny part about that is the first game in the exhibition. Now, he, he didn't, his numbers fell off there towards the end. I mean, he was getting old, uh, but when he played 14 years in the, in the NFL, his last year, last three were Green Bay. And that first game was an exhibition. The first game that he ever played for the Giants was an exhibition against Green Bay. And he picked, picked the ball off, he picked the Packers off four times. If that wasn't, uh, telling you what was about to come, I don't know what else would. But look, Lombardi, I mean, he ended up going to play for Lombardi. He took, Lombardi signed him, he signed him over with the Green Bay Packers. He said, hey, look, you're coming with me, kid. <laughs> so, uh, and his last game uh, was actually in, in the championship, the first championship that the Packers won in 1961. And after he retired in 1967, he became the first African-American to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yes, Marion Motley was number two. He was the second African-American. So, yeah, and when he retired, he retired with several NFL records and 16 team records to be exact. He had 79. This, these things were NFL records. Most of these were NFL records at the time. 79 interceptions. All right, now he's down to just number two. Paul Krause came and, and beat that out. He's now fifth on the list with 1,282 yards as far as interception returns. And his 258 punt returns were an NFL record, as was his 2,209 yards on returns. He was a dangerous punt returner as well. Now, he was a scout for the Giants afterwards from 1962 to 1964, and then an assistant coach uh, in 65, as a defensive backs coach. Now, sadly, um, Emlyn Tunnel, he, he died way too early. Way too early. Um, in 74, he actually suffered a minor heart attack. And at the, at the time, you know, he I think he ended up moving to be, I think he was, at, he was an assistant uh, personnel director. Um, and I think he moved to, to that position, all right? But the next year, July of the next year in 75, during training camp, he suffered another heart attack and he never recovered. He, he, he passed away. Um, it, 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 I mean, it was, it was a sad end, but this man had a great, a great NFL career. Uh, one of the greatest safeties. You talk about Ed Reed. That was Ed Reed before there was Ed Reed. All right. It, it's, it's, that's what it was. That's what it was. We have more. We have more, but I don't have time for more for, for them right now. Uh, very, very prepared today I was. Got a lot of references, people. 
Uh, we'll continue this next week, but references thanks to Richmond Free Press. First black player drafted by NFL in 1949. It's an article by Fred Jeter dated March 29, 2021. African American Chronicles Black History at Penn State. Also, Ramstalk.net, a article by Eric Hole dated September 28, 2020. Black History Month, five African American pioneers who helped Los Angeles win their first major sports championship. Pretty good. Uh, the Fritz Pollard Alliance, they're focused on Paul Tank Younger. LA Times, Sam Farmer, September 16, 2001. Paul Tank Younger, legendary, legendary, haha, running back for Rams, uh, was 73. The New York Times, Emlyn Tunnel, 50 dies. And this is the original article uh, by Neil Arbner, uh, excuse me, Amdur, dated July 24th, 1975. Uh, Emlyn Tunnel 50 Dies, star of Football Giants. Also, footballresearchers.org, The Coffin Corner, uh, profootballhalloffame.com, profootballreference.com. Also, All Things Considered, this was the show host, the, the original the host was Robert Siegel. Emlyn Tunnel, a largely unknown NFL great. Also, a couple of books, America's Game, The NFL at 100. Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams are the co-authors. Paul Brown, The Rise, Fall, and Rise Again of Football's Most Innovative, Innovative Coach by Andrew O'Toole. The Black Bruins, The Remarkable Lives of UCLA's Jackie Robinson, Woody Strode, Tom Bradley, Kenny Washington, and Ray Bartlett by James W. Johnson. Also, multiple authors and put togethers of this book 75 seasons a hard road to glory the african-american athlete in football by arthur r ash jr and also very good book on the clock the story of the nfl draft by barry wilbur and ken rapperport this has been the behind the mic podcast i am your host michael neal jr this show has been presented by and is presented by belly up sports and the belly up sports podcast network belly up Sports.com. Find us on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show, and you better listen to it, or I'll find your house. I'm out. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.